Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening once again to the Paradox Free Speech and Medicine podcast. I've interviewed Dr. Matt Strauss before. He's an ICU doctor, he has journalism training, and is overall a very wise and widely read man. You may recall that he has been the medical officer of health for Haldeman Norfolk in Ontario through a good chunk of the pandemic. Matt's crazy alt-right views, things like thinking that kids should be in school, thinking that vaccine mandates and travel restrictions are not only unhelpful but unethical, have made him a target of the mainstream press. There was a concerted effort to have him removed from his position. After about 18 months now as medical officer of health, Matt is stepping down. But rather than throw a party, Bruce Arthur, a sports journalist come COVID commentator who writes for the Toronto Star, couldn't resist shooting some arrows into Matt's back as he walked out the door. Uh, Mr. Arthur's piece was actually so egregious that he was forced to make corrections, and what you'll now find online is being toned down and corrected. In this podcast, Matt talks about his decision to step down, his experience dealing with Mr. Arthur, and why he thinks his views were misrepresented as they were. You can read Matt describe this incident in his own piece in the National Post. As an aside, thanks very much to Mr. Terry Kelly for providing us with our new intro and outro music. I've been a longtime fan, and I'm very honored that he'd do this for us. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm back with Matt Strauss, who is uh, my my most interviewed person on my podcast for, for very good reason. Um, and Matt, uh, some of you may have seen Matt in the news lately, and I wanted to get the story directly from him. Um, firstly, w- without getting ahead of ourselves. So Matt, it, you know, just to review quickly, you've been the medical officer of health for Haldeman Norfolk for, for two years now, I gather? A year and a half. Year and a half, okay, and uh, you, you know people can review that story. I, I'll I'll link to it on this podcast, but it's uh, I interviewed you about your you getting your position, take your position as medical officer of health, and how that way you're kind of an an unlikely but I think great choice. But skipping forward, um, you had decided to kind of step down at this point and uh, and move on. And can you tell us a bit about why you decided it was time? Sure. I guess there's personal reasons and, and um, professional reasons. The personal reason is really the main reason, um, uh, and I don't. I don't mind. I, we're we're all friends on this podcast. I don't. I don't mind talking about it. But um, when I took the job, uh, it was pandemic time. It was remote work. I lived in Kingston with my wife, who was finishing her training uh, at Queen's University, um, and so I would try to make it down to the community about once a week. It's an it's an eight hour round trip by car. Um, we've since had a baby where she's on mat leave. We're living about an hour away from Simcoe now, um, where, where both grandmas live uh, in the Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph area. Um, we n- never quite settled down, uh, in Norfolk County, which had been my, uh, intention, but just didn't work out that way. I, you know, and, uh, parenthood and, and uh, all sorts of things had to do with that. Mm. Anyways, her mat leave ends. Uh, we're going back to Kingston on April first. I, I can no longer do eight-hour round trips now that I'm a, a I'm a father. Uh, that's kind of the personal reason, um, so, and that's why the, I chose the date of April first. But it it times well because the pandemic is over. Um, I've been saying the pandemic's over. I, I think if you if you look at a graph of COVID deaths worldwide, it, they fell off a cliff in in the spring of uh, 22, and and they haven't really come back. So I think the pandemic ended in the spring of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, but many people didn't agree with me. So I, w- I was still concerned about more spasms of uh, coercive measures like 
vaccine mandates and mask mandates. And I wanted to keep my seat at the table until I was sure that we were out of those woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I now am quite sure that we're out of those woods. So um, I, I feel that I've accomplished my mission. I, I came to I came to the community to show that um, common sense, uh, calm, uh, consent-based public health uh, could achieve uh, everything that public health needs or can achieve during a during a pandemic, um, and, and we did. So the, the community that I serve, Haldeman Norfolk, has thirty percent lower age-adjusted mortality than the provincial average. Um, and during my tenure, uh, relative to other rural health units uh, in the province, uh, our our mortality declined. So. Mm-hmm. When I took the job, there was all sorts of shrieking from the downtown Toronto media elite about how I was unqualified and I was some sort of libertarian anarchist fanatic who was going to burn it all down and people would die. And I I literally had well-known pandemic commentators saying that I I was going to have blood on my hands and thousands would die and and Mm. quite the opposite is true. I'm by no means taking personal credit for um, the lower mortality. I think that the region that I serve is so much going for it in terms of community connection and, and common sense. And um, like, it, it wasn't an accident that we found each other, uh, myself and Alden and Norfolk. So um, I feel that my mission's accomplished. It was, it was a great success. And um, when I initially took the job, I thought, yeah, maybe this will turn into something permanent, but just in terms of my personal family life, it, it can't. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything bad that happened. It was time to move on mission accomplished family reasons, life reasons. Yeah. And off you go. Good. Yeah. So- I like, I, I think if, if something, if I were to have been politically pressured out, that would have happened uh, in the first month. Um, okay. I've had a year and a half to kind of make connections and win people over. And um, like I said, it, it, it is a common sense rural community where um, uh, I mean, they asked me uh, to apply to the job. So um, I, I would say it all it, w- it all went swimmingly um, at the end of the day. Right on. Well, maybe I'll ask you what can be what can be a tough question, or maybe you've already thought about it. Looking back on your year and a half, what do you think you got right? Maybe just what one thing you got right, one thing you got wrong? Um. I'm going to think about that while I talk because I don't have a pat answer. Um, the The problem that I have always been thinking about the whole time, both when I look at my actions and also the actions of other people, when I look at the chief medical officer of health or I look at the premier or I look at the minister of health, um, I see most people in public life are um, experiencing some sort of tension between effectiveness and righteousness. If I showed up on my first day on the job and said, everything that I think about every topic, um, I, that would be my last day on the job. Mm. Um, and then I would be disappointing a lot of people who stuck their necks out to get me into the position in order to have the effect that they were hoping that I would have. Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't, through my professional life, I haven't really thought of myself as an activist. I, I guess I became something of an anti-lockdown activist. That was the that was a portfolio I knew the most about. That's what I wanted to fight against the most. Mm-hmm. Um, on a previous podcast, you and I talked about mask mandates and how we both don't think the science really um, is in favor of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure maybe on your podcast or just um, at, uh, at at your conference, of course, we talked about vaccine mandates. Uh, well, we don't think the science backs those up, but that was not what I came to do. Um, and so as I took the position, um, the vaccine mandates were just being rolled out and uh, a, a reporter asked me what I thought about them. And I said, well, I 
I don't like them, but I, I do follow the law. And so could I have been more activist on that portfolio on day one? Frankly, I don't think so. I, I think that there would have been no day two. Um, there was a uh, there was an incident where I know a lot of people who support me on Twitter uh, or, or did got very upset at me. Uh, when the vaccines were approved for children um, or for, for adolescents, I think. No, I think it was the 5 to 11. It was 5 to 11 that came out circa November of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I, I, there was a press, we, we were doing weekly press conferences at that stage of the pandemic. Um, and I said to the local newspapers, look, I am not a pediatrician. I'm not a vaccinologist. I am not an immunologist. I have read this you know, 35 page document from NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. Um, it seems like they're quite expert. I, I've gotten to meet some of the people who sit on NACI. Um, it seems like they've taken this very seriously. I'm going to read to you the guidelines that NACI has come out with and any questions you ask me, I'm going to refer to the NACI guidelines. And at that time, the guidelines were, well, you may offer it to mm-hmm. children, but it's not it's not recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the recommendation is it, it, it might be offered. It, it was a very, very weak. Whereas then, then you had the prime minister saying, everybody go get your children vaccinated, which is quite improper for the prime minister to be giving medical recommendations to children he's never met, who are not his patients, that are in... Uh, uh, that are contradicting the this panel of experts. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. wrong on so many levels. Um, anyways, the the a, a local newspaper as, affiliated with the Toronto Star picked it up and said I was somehow lukewarm on uh, vaccines for children and I had to be run out of town. And the Liberal Party of Ontario um, had a press release that I think even either <clears throat> their health critic may have had a press conference or a press statement on how I was awful and had to be run out of town. Um, and that was a dark day because I thought, oh, man, I just spent two months trying to win people over. All I did was read the NACI guidelines. Um, this is not my field. This is not quite my fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they're calling for my head again. And I remember sitting in my office and thinking, what is the most what is the the most pro-vaccinating children thing I can say um, that is within the science at this point and Mm -hmm. and within my own medical ethics. And I thought, well, you know what? I am glad that this is available to people. I know that some folks are keeping their children in the basement with masks on and not allowing them to go to school and not allowing them to play sports and not allowing them to see their friends or their grandparents. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that this exists. Um, I believe the published rate of short-term, short-term side effects, uh, which was very low, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I do think it is safe and I see in the short-term data that it is effective. So I am glad they are safe. They are effective. I'm going to say, I'm glad that a safe and effective vaccine exists for children. And I'm going to say that, you know, follow Teresa Tam's advice. And, and there was this actually excellent quote from her that said, parents need to be supported in their decision-making. Nobody should feel coerced uh, into mm-hmm. taking this. So I put all of that up. And then I guess some, some folks who see themselves as in the anti-COVID vaccine camp lost their minds at me and called me a, a, a Pharma shill and uh, a mm-hmm. sellout. And somebody mm-hmm. said I was Pfizer's new whore. Um, mm-hmm. So, I guess that that is one incident where I was very strongly feeling this tension between effectiveness and righteousness, and and chose to highlight. You know, so nothing that is safe is one hundred percent safe. Like bike riding is safe, but it's not one hundred percent safe. 
Mm -hmm. um, and nothing that is effective is 100% effective. Like penicillin is effective for cellulitis, but it's not 100% effective. Mm -hmm. um, so I chose to emphasize safety and effectiveness. Um, and and I, I still included that statement about no one should be coerced. Um, but it, it was it was really me at my most political. Um, and then when I when I had all these people uh, screaming at me again that I would have blood on my hand. Like I guess when you get it from both sides, some say that's a, that's uh, a sign you're 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 more or less you're being uh, a good the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah. But um, that that was just a moment where I was like, am I being a little bit greasy and a little bit political? Am I? I um, most folks know, like I, I am an ICU doctor. ICU doctors, frankly, get get paid better than medical officers of health. So it wasn't like I was trying to uh, maintain, like I had no financial conflict. Um, and so I, I hope that I was guided by the best values and trying to do the best for the community and the people who put me there. But I was very strongly feeling that tension between effectiveness and righteousness. Gotcha. Yeah, that is that is certainly a challenging position. Um, so I, I want to skip on forward here. So here we are today. You've, uh, you've stepped down. Uh, you've been a target of the left-wing press right from the time that you stepped into the breach and started to talk about your thoughts on COVID um, and stepping down the, rather than a joyous celebration saying, thank you for stepping down. You kind of got targeted by, well, especially by a certain reporter in the Toronto Star, Bruce, Bruce Arthur did what I, I would call a hit piece. I think it's fair to say on you. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? There was a number of things he said in the article. He did interview you, I gather, and uh, and then sort of mi misrepresented what you had said is how I take it. But do you think that do you think I'm describing it well? Oh yeah, um, I, I I I want to go back though to the, the first part you said about not having a, a nice like I, I wasn't expecting a victory parade um, or anything like that uh, at the end of the pandemic. Um, but I will say I received lots of really kind notes from um, other MOHs in the field, um, from people who work at the health unit that I work at, from the local politicians, and from all the friends I made in the community. Um, and this is a decision I didn't take lightly. I, I, it took a while to come to, and I, I mentioned it to a lot of these folks, and, and many of them really kindly asked me to stay, but it just wasn't possible um, in terms of um, family life. So th there, there were lots of thank yous and a, a lot of kindness. And I have nothing but gratitude for the opportunity and, and to everyone who was very kind and welcoming to me. Um, yeah, th this reporter, um, he he had written a, a, just a terrible hit piece on me um, when I took the position. I think he was tweeting a lot about me back at that time in September of 21. Um, when my resignation became public, uh, he called my office and asked for an interview. And of course, I was cautious. Um, I, I I didn't view him by any means as friendly, but I thought, you know, it's been a year and a half. Everyone's cooled down a lot about the pandemic. Maybe we could find some common ground. Maybe there could be some water under the bridge. Um, so I took his call um, and we had a really pleasant conversation. We talked about how Twitter is a relationship distortion machine and, and maybe I'm not... Uh, the guy that he sees me as on Twitter, and maybe he's not the guy that I see him on as uh, as on Twitter. And we talked about fatherhood to some extent. We both have <clears throat> young children, um, and so I could tell he was asking some questions from a certain angle that wasn't favorable to me. I could tell he disagreed with um, some of the points that I was making, um, but I I left that phone call thinking 
probably we did find some common ground and probably the article that comes out of it will be pretty fair. It wasn't at all. It was awful. Um, it was awful. And it, it directly said that I said things that I did not say. So. <clears throat> want to go through some of those? I, as I understand it, there's a few specific things and, and I think that's important because, you know, it's one thing to write an opinion piece, but it's another to, you know, to put words into somebody's mouth or say that they said something that they really didn't, you know? Yeah. So um, the headline was uh, Matt Strauss won't miss public health and it, and the feelings mutual so, or words to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he won't be missed back. I, I can't recall what, but um, I said, I, I certainly never said I won't miss it. I really enjoyed the work. It was very meaningful. I was glad to have the opportunity, uh, but my time to leave has come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can't believe that Toronto Star is running a headline that, says I have an emotional response that I just don't have. Um, He said that I compared missing prom to a living death, which I I certainly did not say. I I said, um, I had said that um, attending your prom is part of health. Attending your wedding is part of health. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's far from a zombie movie. Um, Mm -hmm. He said that I compared mask mandates and vaccine mandates to the Me Too movement. Uh, I did not. he now he he said that i said that vaccine delivery was the only intervention in the pandemic that was justified which is a ridiculous thing to say it's it's ridiculous and it's absolutist and i was trying to explain this to him by text message like i, I don't only sith lords speak in absolutes um mm. i or, or or when you're studying for the mcat any or any multiple choice exam, anything that says always or never is always is well. There, I've just done it, but it's usually the right, the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he said that I said that only randomized control trials are sufficient evidence for pandemic policy. Uh, I did not say that. Nobody would ever say that. Um, you know, there are there are extremely convincing observational trials um, throughout the history of medicine, like the the, um, the doctor smoking study that showed that. If you're a mm-hmm. smoker, you're 50 times more likely to die of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had his phone number. And so I texted him. Now, I hadn't recorded the interview. I presumed that he had. Um, and I said, Bruce, I don't think I said these things that are in the Toronto Star today. Um, can you tell me what it was that I said? Uh, and so he he did not cop as to whether or not he had a recording. But he, he quoted me uh, at length verbatim. So I, I presume that he does have a recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, what I what I said was uh, vaccination was about the only thing we did that mattered. And I was like, okay, Bruce, well, about the only thing and the only thing are very different, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. uh, one is emphasizing how important vaccinating vulnerable people is. Uh, and the other is is an absolute Sith Lord type statement. Um, and then, then he quoted me as saying, uh, 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 with respect to RCTs, In general, this is the quote he gave me that I said, in general, I remain committed to being skeptical about entirely new approaches that didn't have a solid evidence base behind them. And traditionally, but also philosophically, the highest level of evidence is an international multi-center randomized control trial. So I think a lot of people got well put over, got well out over their skis in terms of what we know works when introducing new things. So I was skeptical about vaccine mandates, community mass mandates, border testing, border shutdowns. I would say throughout my tenure, I've been very assiduous in asking interlocutors to ask for evidence for the recommendations we were making and to include risk-benefit analyses in the decisions that they were undertaking. As a result, we did far fewer of these things in the Hall of Norfolk during my tenure than in some other places. Like, that's a pretty 
nuanced, multifaceted answer about the role of evidence in pandemic restrictions, which he boiled down to only RCTs can be used, which is just wrong and ridiculous and not. And I think you and your listeners would agree there's no relationship whatsoever to what I said. So mm-hmm. um, those were the, I, I mean, so those were the factual errors in terms of him misreporting what it was that I had said. Um, beyond that, it, it's just full of innuendo and um, guilt by association. Like I, I spoke to an Epic Times reporter, uh, which he which he called a fringe publication. I was like, well, I, I've also spoken to you now, Bruce Arthur, and, and mm-hmm. apparently you're a, a malicious, borderline fraudulent journalist. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, it's odd to me. Bruce Arthur just, and I don't want to impugn him uh, as a person, but he started off as a sports reporter, did he not? Yeah. Um, like, what's the, does he have a science background? Is there some reason he got pulled onto the COVID beat, or is it just that that's what happens nowadays? You know, I think um, so. I actually, like two years ago, um, I was on a sports show, I think in Philadelphia. Um, because I was, you know, active, uh, actively writing for a number of publications and, and active on my social media. So I think a lot of sports journalists, once all the sports shut down, became COVID journalists. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean they were qualified to. It just means that they were the ones who had nothing else to do and and perhaps had some ability to talk about statistics in an exciting way. Mm. Uh, so I, I actually did go back, and I'm, I'm not a Bruce Arthurologist, um, but I did, did go back to look at what he was writing about in March 2020. He was writing exclusively about sports as far back as I could see. And then around March 8th, um, he was clamoring for the NFL and the NBA to shut down. Or I can't remember which shut down first. And he was saying, now the other one has to. And then it has been pretty much all um, pro, it's been all COVID fear mongering for at least two and a half years before he started doing sports again. It, it seems like I, I, didn't, I didn't read every single one of his articles, but that was the, the general gist of his oof that I saw. Gotcha. Um, I'll, I'll sort of ask a general question about the media. Do you think, do you think part of the problem here is that traditional media with its very limited space and the necessity of boiling down what is in fact, something extremely complicated and nuanced to a short article that fits in a, print publications you think that's part of it here um because you know here we are in a podcast we have as much time as we need really uh and you can read me your full quote he boiled your quote down to something that you know in, in the end misrepresented it but is that partly a problem of the the format he has to work with um so i went to journalism school i don't, I don't know if you knew that about me i, I do um, i would never I, I would never do what he did um mm-hmm. that that's uh, you know i i just did this one year condensed version that the monk school put on um that's not what you're supposed to do period full stop and uh and uh, you know spoiler alert his public editor agreed and printed corrections and and the piece was significantly reworked so uh, no the limitations of the format are not an excuse they might be partly an explanation like i, I think I think if you had taken that quote from me and you wanted to write 800 words about it, you probably would have put quotation marks around it and used my actual words. I think he was mm-hmm. very desperate to distort what I was saying into something ridiculous because yeah, he, he literally, he created a straw man and then he knocked it down in the next sentence. He said, Strauss says 
only RCTs can ever be used as sufficient evidence for anything. But I talked to a bunch of other doctors and they said, that's obviously not true, even in internal medicine. And it's like, yeah, because it isn't true. And I didn't say it. And every internist knows that we make decisions all the time that aren't don't have RCT evidence behind them. So uh, like, I think the amount of arrogance you have to have, take a, a paragraph long answer from a physician with 10 years of experience, boil it down to something and then think as a sports writer, you're going to knock it down in the next sentence. Mm. Like either I'm insane or you're doing a dirty trick. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm not insane. I don't come across insane. And I, 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 I think it was malice. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I, sure. The, the mainstream media has significant format issues. Podcasting is better than an 800 word opinion column. I do agree with that. Mm. Um, but that's, that doesn't explain what happened here. There, there was malice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I certainly do very, I recall very well that you uh, have training in journalism, which was why I was particularly interested in your answer, because I think you have more, more insight into it than the, than the average bear. So um, uh, that is very interesting to me. Yeah. So they, they've printed some corrections. Is this one of these cases where the, this original story is on page one and the retractions are on page eight or, or did they actually do a good job in your mind of, I really liked the public editor. I emailed him. He emailed me back straight away, said, this is serious. I take this seriously. I will get back to you. He did get back to me same day. He asked me to call him. I called him. We spoke on the phone. He's a reasonable man. He's thoughtful. We didn't agree about everything. So mm. some of what, you know, so there is, as you already alluded to, there is some gray area about paraphrase and it is an opinion piece. And so as far as I can tell by the star standards, if Bruce wanted to write, Mastros is very stupid. I don't like him. He sucks. I don't know why anyone would be, would be interested in reading schoolyard insults, but mm -hmm. that's within the standard of opinion journalism in Canada right now. Mm -hmm. So some of the very bad argumentation, the guilt by association stuff that I mentioned, the public editor thought could be left in. Um, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like clearly this guy doesn't like you. He's written something mean. Um, that's okay. Even, and it's not that it's mean that I'm upset about you. I, you can be mean. Um, it's that like the argumentation is so bad. Mm -hmm. And and then I argued to the public editor, well, look, if he's, if he's so, if his thinking towards me is so warped that he can't even report what I said accurately, like, doesn't that call into question the rest of the argumentation? And mm -hmm. he was like, uh, no, well, like, we're, we're leaving it. We're like, we're leaving the rest of it, except for, you know, these, these, obviously factually inaccurate thing mm -hmm. um but the correction came on a2 it was printed it was it was online and in uh, uh in the print edition the next day on on yeah on page a2 that's pretty industry standard like i understand they want to protect their brand they're not gonna they're not gonna write a a centerpiece apology um mm -hmm. yeah so i'm i'm pretty satisfied with that i guess i would say right now okay well that's not too bad um well in terms of what I had planned to ask you about, I'm pretty much at the end, but is there, is there anything else that you want to say about the whole situation that I, that I haven't asked? Is there any, anything you want to kind of leave us with? Like just in case anyone doesn't know, this sucks. Like it, it sucks to um, give a half hour of your time to a journalist. think you've made some common ground, feel like you did some good serving a community and then be maliciously attacked by fraudulent means in a, a kind of a major national newspaper the next day um you know not to be like what was me but it's just uh, if i if i came across as a bit hot about it 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 sucks 
and also it is emblematic of what went wrong throughout so much of the pandemic like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not into expertism as you know you have an md i have an md you see patients i see patients we probably disagree on some things the fact that we have those credentials don't mean that either of us is right about everything um and people who want to have a reasonable discussion and bring different perspectives and other evidence to the table um they should be allowed to have those arguments mm -hmm. that's not what bruce did to me and that's not what he's been doing throughout the pandemic mm -hmm. um and maybe because I have a, I hold a public office and I have some journalism training and <clears throat> I'm a little bit more outspoken than your average bear. I was able to meet with some justice here. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I think what happened um, just now between Bruce Arthur and me has been happening to anybody who had a, a slightly divergent viewpoint for the last two and a half years. And they haven't been able to, remedy themselves of the of the public editor route or a libel lawsuit or or all this so it's it's a really significant error that speaks to broader systemic issues in canada's national newscape right gotcha okay well listen matt i, I appreciate you giving us that update on this situation because I, I like I say i think it's a really important i think you moving on is very um it's it's a yeah it, it's the end of end of a short era and uh, and I think you, you did a lot of good while you were in there so I you know I I'm very impressed that you were brave enough to step into the breach in such a difficult circumstance so you know thanks for all you've done and thanks for suffering the slings and arrows and uh, and still staying on your feet and I, so what's what's next for you you're uh, where where will you be working. Um, I'll, I'll still be a, an ICU doctor in uh, at my community hospital in Ontario. I uh, I will be doing some house husbanding as uh, as my wife goes back to work, and she she just has one year of her training left to do. So we'll get that done, and then we'll um, uh, settle down in the in the Kitchener Waterloo welfare. Area. I I expect I'll be doing a lot more writing, um, which is what I was really passionate about pre pandemic and for the first nine months of the pandemic before um, it became clear that writing writing wasn't quite cutting it. So I, as you know, I, I took the job as an MOH because I mm -hmm. wanted to put the things I was writing about into practice. Mm -hmm. um, now that I've done that, I, I it would be nice to go back to writing. So. Right on. Well, enjoy. We look forward to uh, hearing your, your reading your next piece. So uh, hopefully it won't be too long. All the best. Uh, I have something coming out on Monday, actually. Oh, okay. Wait, what's coming out on Monday? Uh, it, it's about this affair the bruce the bruce arthur affair lovely okay well by the time i get this posted um i should be able to link to that as well so yeah we look forward to it mm -hmm.